You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I am going to be your gloriously beautiful fun, attractive host, Abraham. <laughs> and I'm going to be the anything but the Master Chief co-host, Shane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we are talking about the halo effect, but I want to be very clear that we're not talking about Master Chief or <laughs> elites or anything of that nature. So wrong podcast. Sorry. Yeah. Bring your dual wielding somewhere else. <laughs> sure you can find some great halo themed podcasts out there. This is a different type of halo. And so we're going to be talking a lot about celebrities Mm -hmm. and other types of people, but mostly we're talking about something called the halo effect Mm -hmm. and how that sort of works and what it is. We've got a lot to cover and we've got a lot of people to talk about that are figures in our culture. So I think we could just dive right in, right? Yeah, I think we can do that. So Shane, you're a, you're a handsome gentleman looking scholar of a man. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I assume that you also have a lot of money and uh, are good at everything you've ever tried, including surfing and hang gliding and architecture would be, and maybe paleontology. Yeah. So that's not true at all. So, I mean, you, so from the very beginning, you got it wrong with the handsome man part, but definitely can't surf. Definitely can't skateboard. Definitely can't do anything like that. What? My mind is blown. Yeah, don't like digging in the dirt, not good with math, so I would be horrible at architecture. I've never built anything with my hands except for a balsa wood race car in my technology class in eighth grade, which I won. So maybe that's see that's the thing I'm good at. Now it all seems real. <laughs> yeah, so what Abraham is describing here is a cognitive bias in which the overall impression of someone influences how we behave around them and how we think about their character. So basically, when you kind of get an idea about somebody, you create all these kind of like ideas and you start kind of engaging in different sets of behavior as a result of just being in this person's light. Yeah. And this is very much our first impression sort of thing. And we've talked about first impressions on the show before, but this is uh, this is a real effect that happens here. And often our first impression is a visual one, but not always. Mm-hmm. It is important to note. I think that we've said this already, but this is one of those human bias things where it's like people tend to do this. Yep, absolutely. And there are other biases we've talked about fundamental attribution error. We did that in an episode called character V circumstance, which is essentially assuming that the tendency to interpret other people's behavior as inherent to the character while interpreting your own as being influenced by your current circumstances confirmation bias, which is actually going to be relevant in this topic as well, which is essentially just looking for evidence to confirm things you already believe while ignoring evidence that contradicts it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is the halo effect is another type of this bias. And this is also known as the physical attractiveness stereotype or the what's beautiful is also good principle. Yep. But let's let's dig into this, why this is called the halo effect. Yeah. So in biblical art, a halo is depicted hanging over individuals and they shower them with light to indicate goodness. Thus, in this case, a single trait can either validate or invalidate somebody entirely, regardless of their actual characteristics and behavioral patterns. So essentially what happens is they have a hypothetical halo based on some characteristic that you identify, and then all is good or all is not good, depending on whatever that characteristic is. You're exactly right. Meaning that whatever whatever impression you have, that that is sort of then generalized out in your impression of that person to encompass a lot of traits. That's just an assumption you make. Mm-hmm. And it's usually very automatic about other things about that person. Interesting side note about the halo in art. There was actually 
a few podcast episodes by the podcast Stuff to Blow Your Mind, mm-hmm. where they dug into like the history of the Halo iconography in art, yeah, which was really, really interesting. So getting into some examples of where we see this, as I mentioned, a very common one is celebrities. I mean, most celebrities are really dolled up to be attractive, at least, you know, a, a lot of them, maybe not most, but a lot of them are, or at least more attractive than they'd normally be. A few of them are really actually some of their stardom comes from being unattractive, but essentially we see how they look. We have these impressions of them. And so we tend to assume that they're kind of good at everything else, that they're successful, that they're welcoming, they're funny, they're intelligent, they're kind. And we sort of make those assumptions about them based on what little information we have, which is that they are beautiful to look at. Right. And I mean, this isn't helped at all by the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio does seem to be all these things. Right. And then you hear the stories <laughs> of like his sexual endeavors and you're like, oh, what a weird dude. So I'm going to ignore those and go with my confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Please do. Please do. Wonderful actor. So this is why they say don't meet your heroes, right? So here's hoping you never see us in public because <laughs> it will ruin that for you. And we may sound like intelligent, funny and handsome podcast hosts, but in reality, we are stupid, boring and still very, very handsome. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Eye candy. No substance. That's it. That's it. We are trophy wives or trophy husbands even. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. Trophy people. Let's do that. That's better. That's a better. We'll get rid of those dated terms. Yeah. That's a a good, a good trophy partners. There you go. That's right. Yeah. So one thing that's important to sort of debunk as a myth or maybe a misconception, less a myth than a misconception about the halo effect is it's not entirely physical attractiveness. It just happens to be that the first time that we encounter someone is usually because we see them. And there are lots of times when we encounter people in other mediums. So it's really more of a first impression bias than anything. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, there are examples of this happening across the board. So this does happen sometimes in partners, for example, that despite an otherwise abusive or sort of lackluster personality of the partner, you might be Mm -hmm. starting to engage with and, and become close to, you know, one good quality could sort of help keep you afloat. So my wife might try and stab me while I'm sleeping, but hot damn, her zucchini boats are fire. <laughs> you know, I, I love that idea of like a zucchini boat being the thing that saves the relationship. Exactly. What a great thing. It's like everything else is terrible, but you know, she does know how to put the Parmesan cheese on that boat. Like where else am I going to find someone who can make that good of a zucchini boat? Like, right. Is right. it worth even trying? There, there's just right. be another. Why boat. bother? Why bother? So to go further into this effect, did you know that only tall people can be president? So specifically of the United States. So Trump, Obama, Clinton, Bush Sr., Reagan, Ford, Johnson, and Kennedy were all over six feet tall. So here I am announcing my bid for the 2024 presidential election as a six foot three. I'll be the tallest president in the last 50 years, except for Lyndon B. Johnson. But no president in the last 50 years has been under five foot nine. Biden was so close, right? So Biden is five foot 11 and a half. For our listeners that don't live in a, an imperial country, I apologize. We don't have the metric units for these, but there's conversion rates somewhere. Approximately two meters, a little less than that. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Trump was 6'3". Obama was 6'1". George W. Bush, it's not W, it's W. W. Was 5'11 and a half, and Clinton was 6'2". As was H.W. Bush, 6'2", Reagan 6.1". Carter was actually the shortest one on this list. Five nine and a half. Uh-huh. Ford was six feet, or again about two meters for our metric friends. Nixon five eleven and a half. Johnson six three and a half, and Kennedy six one. So yeah, so yeah. Shane, you've you you basically tick all the boxes to be president right now. So you are white, male, uh-huh. very tall, yeah, and 
you also have a multisyllabic last name. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a pretty low bar right now. So I think I think I'll be OK. Yeah. So <laughs> the bar has been set so low at this point in time that I think that I could get away with just about being anything but present. But uh, but but unfortunately, our poor five foot seven writer of this episode, Alan, would join John Adams and William McKinley toward the bottom of this list. Also, fun fact about the show. I have never met Alan in person. Same. Yeah, we live. We've lived in a virtual world for a long time. Uh huh. So this is the first time I learned about how tall Alan was. If there's ever like a Ready Player One type virtual reality universe, when you meet me, I will definitely be over seven feet tall. Yeah, you'll <laughs> go with the H model, right? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So this effect has a substantial impact on different areas of our lives and our general sort of environments, including our workplaces, our education, relationships, business, definitely going to the bar sort of thing. And it's an effect that's very easy to find in various places. And actually what ends up happening too is you start making these like superstitious connections or like these kind of arbitrary connections with one another. So basically what our learning history does and what our experience does, it tells us like, hey, if we have this thing, right, this person has this characteristic, they must have X, Y, and Z, these other characteristics. And Alan describes it as like what you could describe as like a stimulus equivalence error. Essentially what it is, is like just because somebody's friendly doesn't mean they're also intelligent and also beautiful. It just might be one of those things where we kind of relate those characteristics together arbitrarily. Yeah, and I guess we haven't described uh, a very clear example of what this means, but essentially, just as you said, is that like someone who we think of as being, uh, we have a good, a favorable first impression of, or, or we have, we know one good thing about that person, such as their zucchini boat. Mm-hmm. We tend to think like all of the things about them are likely to be good. We're going to estimate that they make more money. We're going to estimate that they're better on average at most things than other people, and so we tend to be very, I guess, cater very heavily toward those and not generally willing to admit that that happens. But, you know, we also haven't talked about much as the history. Now we have actually talked about Edward Thorndike on the show. We talked about the learning curve, Mm -hmm. but this term of the halo effect was coined by psychologist Edward Thorndike in a 1920 paper called the constant error in psychological ratings. Mm. And essentially uh, what happened was he noticed when he was asking commanding officers to rate their subordinates, based on several personality characteristics, such as uh, leadership, physical appearance, intelligence, loyalty, dependability, what he found was very interesting and surprising that there was this correlative effect on the ratings, high or low, of one quality closely matching with the others, meaning that essentially the people who were in the army who were more attractive, who were taller, and generally more fit, or at least had sort of those had appealing qualities were regarded as being better people, better soldiers, more reliable, more favorable all around. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have to necessarily do anything, but any one good quality they had would elevate all the rest of their qualities. And there seems to be kind of a, a, an inverse correlation here as well, where attractive people are also perceived to be more vain, dishonest, and likely to use their attractiveness to miss, uh, to manipulate others. So what you'll find is that like, even though the good qualities are tied with that attractiveness, some of the, the not so great qualities are tied there too. So to quote Regina George, <clears throat> quote, so you agree, you think you're really pretty, end quote. Basically in conclusion, mean girls, the more attractive somebody is, they're probably a mean girl. The end. The end. <laughs> and we're out. That's the episode, folks. No take on points. No recommendations. Just kidding. But <laughs> it does remind me of there was another South Park skit. It's probably clear to our listeners that I'm way too interested in South Park. But there was <laughs> the a, appropriate amount. 
the maybe the appropriate amount. There was a skit they did. It was many many seasons ago now, where there was um this. I think it was actually a plastic surgery clinic. If I'm remembering this scene correctly, and this mm-hmm. um lady walks in and she is got very large breasts and is made to look as attractive as a paper cut out of a person can look. <laughs> right, made to look very attractive, and so she brings him a cup of coffee, and he's like. It's like, oh, thank you so much. Damn. Oh, damn. You did such a great job. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Wow. That was amazing. And uh, all she did was bring him coffee. And the next lady comes in and she's obviously larger and frumpy and doesn't have very well-defined breasts and hands him the stack of papers. Like, here's that important paperwork you needed to have done. I finished it early. He's like, yeah, thanks. Whatever. Get out of here. And uh, (laughs) sort of blows her off. And uh, and yeah, so very uh, sort of a, a version of this. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the impact of this thing, though. Yeah, absolutely. So with Children and Friendships, Florida Atlantic University or FAU and Concordia University in Canada studied the importance of being, quote, fun in early middle school. And so hundreds of nine to 12 year old children in the country of Columbia and Southern Florida, the country of Southern Florida, it's its own place. It is absolutely its own place. If you've ever been to Florida, it's essentially three states. It's South Florida, North Florida and South Alabama, (laughs) the panhandle being South Alabama. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. So researchers actually sought to determine the degree to which peer perceptions of being fun predict increases of being liked by classmates and being popular with classmates. So basically they're saying if they're fun, will they be popular and will they be liked? Exactly right. And essentially the short answer is yes. They found that being fun was a predictor of likability and popularity, even after they accounted for other variables that are known to contribute to to, uh, high social status, such as attractiveness, athletic ability, assertiveness, pro-social behavior leadership and other things. And this, uh, that was a direct quote from psychology today, sort of blog post on this. And yeah, so essentially that they with kids who are generally less concerned with attractiveness, the other positive feature was the thing that elevated all other characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. And so for our fellow behavior analysts who are listening to this, you might be questioning the lack of operational definitions here. Well, so did the authors. They acknowledge their lack of objectivity in what constitutes as being fun, saying that some may object to the construct of fun on the grounds that it is not tied to specific behaviors. So this leaving aside the many other reputation constructs that were initially introduced without empirical ties to the behavioral markers. So basically they're saying that like, Being fun was kind of a vague type of descriptor, right? So it didn't really have any specific behaviors tied to it. Chosen for convenience to say, like, we we need to call something fun. We're just going to, like, arbitrarily decide that something's going to be fun and something won't. And you can kind of do this with other things, too. But they also went on to say, it may well be the case that being fun is important, not because of the behaviors that delineate it, but rather because of the feelings it engenders. Being fun may also reflect a behavioral style, one that leans heavily on perspective taking, interpersonal sensitivity and appreciation of context. And they end this quote by saying someone who is fun is someone who facilitates positive experience and behaves in ways that make others feel good. End quote. Life of the party. Hell yeah. That's how I ended up here. Or as every time I die says, the death of the party, the life of the funeral. Oh, what a great band. What a great band. (laughs) And so in education as well, some researchers have found the correlations with higher expectations for kids who are considered more attractive, meaning that if they had students or learners, individuals who were generally more attractive than they generally expected them to perform better and would, this is where confirmation bias creeps in, would tend to view things that they did more favorably 
and notice the favorable things that they did more than the less favorable things that they did. <laughs> this website, Very Well Mind, cites a study, which to preface it sounds more like a trashy early 2000s MTV reality TV show. <laughs> like next? Yeah. In the Journal of Hu- the Journal of Human Capital, in which the researchers had 28 people rate the attractiveness of over 4,500 student IDs. Wow. Which, man, I feel like were I a participant in that study, I'd be like... After the first thousand, I'm like, I need to be done. With yeah, this. yeah, yeah. So I guess this was sort of, you know, uh, Tinder sort of thing on student using student ID pictures. Yeah. Anyway, they looked at each student's performance in class in a class taught online versus face to face. And they found that students who are rated as above average in attractiveness earn significantly lower grades in online courses than in face to face courses suggesting that there may indeed be a benefit to being dashingly good looking in the classroom. <laughs> yeah. And this comes with a price. Like you don't want to peak in high school. Otherwise it's all downhill from there, right? Be cool in your thirties, be a fine wine, That's right. be season five, part two of breaking bad, be the second half of Matthew McConaughey's career, be Clooney age. Well, that's the, that's the moral <laughs> here. Yeah. Those are all clear recommendations. Yeah. And for information on the antithesis of this, see Fred Durst, the final season of game of Thrones blockbuster and dial up internet. How have they aged? That's right. Not well. Yeah. The like Netscape browser. Yeah. Who's still using that? Or CJB.net. Probably um, Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> probably got an Angel Fire website somewhere. That's right. <laughs> Pending peer review is a study in which your girlfriend goes on a date with a much more attractive person and you sit your skinny ass on a couch next to her parents who verbally assault you while trying to make a losing argument at why you're the better option. And then the halo comes off. Oh, wait. That's parental control. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's a whole show that's a whole show that existed in the early 2000s too i forgot about that now interestingly this this uh concept goes both way from the teachers to the students which is to say that when students viewed a teacher as being warm and friendly they ended up being rated as also more attractive appealing and more likable right and so there was this uh, dynamic back and forth here you know it's not just one-sided we see each other mm-hmm. and we make judgments about one another And this begs the question, which comes first, likability or the intelligence? We don't know. We don't know. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about how the halo effect applies in the workplace. And so attractive people tend to be rated higher on other positive traits, like their performance appraisals, promotions, reviews, interviews. All of these things are impacted by people who tend to be considered more attractive. And a single perceived characteristic can jeopardize a more objective rating of one's entire performance. Kind of like we talked about with the presidents, right? Like our presidents, taller men tend to get promoted at higher rates into the positions of authority. Someone who is charming, but kind of sucks at their job could never receive constructive feedback they need because they're continuously seen with the metaphorical halo. This is an issue that I have struggled with my entire life. Nobody wants to tell me mean things or constructive feedback because everybody thinks I'm too handsome and I don't like that. We've got to fix that. Yeah, Q Brad Pitt in Fight Club trying to talk smack to Jared Leto's character and and sort of fumbling around with things until he says, and you're too fucking blonde. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have anything else to hang his hat on. Yeah, just too blonde. I wonder if that, I feel like that may have been Edward Norton's character, but maybe it was Brad Pitt. I don't remember. Anyway, that feels like less a less smooth character. So it probably was Edward Norton's character. That's what I was thinking, because, you know, Brad Pitt didn't do a whole lot of yelling in that movie. No. Pretty cool as a cucumber. Yeah. Pretty cool as a zucchini boat. (laughs) Also, with respect to workplaces, of course, you might look at tipping and how people tip. Mm -hmm. There was a study in the Journal of Economic Psychology that found that servers who are considered to be more attractive earned about $1,200 more per year in tips than their less appealing colleagues. So 
dress scantily. Servers. <laughs> all y'all <laughs> just kidding the jury is still out about whether ugly chefs cook better but we do know from ratatouille that rats do indeed make better pasta as ingredients just mm-hmm. kidding <laughs> you know that super sucks of thinking about like you see your server as being someone who's unattractive and now that person's gonna have a harder time paying rent and so where there is that bias of like that person must earn m- more money and then the answer is yeah because you pay them more <laughs> because right. you because you think they're attractive right All right. So first impressions, again, this is just using this to your advantage. Tips are great, but in many jobs, you can utilize the halo effect by capitalizing on just a solid first impression. So a charming, innovative and engaging first impression may reduce the impact of any few missteps you might have along the way to help you get better adapted to a new environment. I mean, there was one time I started at a job. I had the incorrect date for my start date. And so I didn't show up on day one. And for two years, they just hated me there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Locked in place. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you can win people over in interviews, right? So we love personal recommendations from a colleague or a friend, but this might shine the halo effect on the individual, right? That that kind of getting a glowing recommendation. But the interview itself might also play a key role, right? And ultimately, that, that recommendation and also a good first impression or good interview can overshadow more qualified applicants who didn't have a personal connection or didn't have the charm to be able to kind of like make the employer laugh or any of those things, right? Like those first impressions really do make a difference, even though there are other people that are better for the job. And now... We've actually streamlined this a little bit because if you show up to an interview and you're not wearing a mask and you refuse to get vaccinated, you probably just won't get hired. Yeah, there you go. Nice and easy. Simple criteria. Low bars, folks. Low bars. Exactly. Exactly right. Now, let's talk about attributing success accurately. Good earnings during one period might prompt a CEO to laud their team for having and embodying clear strategy, strong values brilliant leadership and outstanding execution. Mm -hmm. But all this may be mere correlation and the success might instead be related to other variables, such as how the market's doing, how competitors were faring during that time, any additional press they may have received. So every time that we call out, you know, Amazon or Starbucks or Disney or anything like that, we inadvertently do marketing for them. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the, there's no such thing as bad press. That's not entirely true. I think that there's probably a few uh, people who no longer work at a news organization (laughs) who who received a lot of bad press. But nevertheless, call outs can still function as bringing attention to a brand. Yeah. You know, think of Walter White receiving an outpouring of generous donations for his cancer treatment through his son's amateur GoFundMe page. His son feels noble, but little does he know that's all a result of backdoor laundering for Walt's meth empire profits. So the next time your employee turns in good numbers. Ask what color their meth is. Science, bitch. There's a lot of Breaking Bad recommendations in here or uh, references. I was going to say, I feel like Alan's been watching Breaking Bad lately. So, Alan, we need you to confirm when you listen to this episode. Have you been watching Breaking Bad? Yeah. Season five, part two is a very specific reference. I read that out loud and I said, he's got to be watching this because that's a very specific reference. Yeah, there's only a couple of episodes that I, I feel like I could reference as like the episode itself that was that stand out ish. So... This this got to be a recency bias going on here. Yeah, yeah. If I read one more <laughs> reference to Breaking Bad, <laughs> just kidding. All right, let's talk about marketing a little bit. So yeah. we probably don't need to explain that you're more likely to buy grooming products from a commercial by George Clooney than you are from a commercial with Mickey Rourke. <laughs> but <laughs> but you can put the rest together yourself, or maybe you trust the most interesting man in the world for a beer recommendation 
But would you take tax advice from him? I don't know. I might. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a quick side note. Why was Sarah McLaughlin the spokesperson for Dying Puppies? Probably because her song, I Will Remember You, was a kind of an earworm, right? But if Marilyn Manson did those instead, I'm guessing you'd probably feel a little bit different, especially now. So many fewer puppies in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he probably wouldn't be cuddling all the puppies. But side side note, why did the Dying Puppy commercials only come on during South Park? Like, why was that the time that it came on? Hey, a second South Park reference, too. Yeah. What is going on? Alan, are you okay? Super pop culture happy hour. Yeah. <laughs> so perhaps the world chose to shine a bright, pretty halo on Michael Jackson for so many decades. Even today, given his mu- musical contributions to the world, despite an illustrious lifestyle littered with controversy, one might argue that separating the art from the artist is akin to separating the halo from the saint. Just food for thought. And I did see in some of my own research for this episode as well that a lot of people talk about how the halo effect tends to apply, particularly for after someone passes away. We are quick to remember the things that we want to praise about that person and also quick to forget the things that we would condemn about that person. Mm-hmm. I think that people have gotten more nuanced about this over time. Yeah. And I also think that part of the reason, you know, the, the argument they sort of made was if this is all to just put out good karma to say, like, I want people to think fondly of me after I'm gone. But I, I also think that there's also sort of a, this person can't defend themselves. So at this point you're just taking cheap shots. Mm-hmm. And like, that seems like a really, in my opinion, a weak way to form an argument is to attack someone who can't defend themselves in any way. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's part of more why we tend to be kinder to those who have passed on. Because again, there's really not that much point. Like what do you gain from denigrating someone after they're gone? Yeah. And going, you know, after their legacy, aside from those people who are really obvious, I'd be like, you know, Hitler and Mussolini and stuff. Those are people who I think we were usually pretty happy and, to remember, I mean, we can remember them pretty completely as complex people and understand that they sucked. You know, it's funny as you're saying that, I was kind of thinking like, yeah, we do kind of like shine a light on folks after they pass. But you know who didn't really have a halo effect when they passed? Rush Limbaugh. I did. I did think about that. Yeah. 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 So he. Yeah. So but I mean, but for the most part, yeah, you, you kind of like that's the whole idea of don't speak ill of the dead. But if you read the Ender Game, Ender's Game series. Yeah. This, I think it's the second book called Speaker for the Dead. He's got he kind of takes this really cool. I mean, Orson Scott Card is not a great he's problematic. We can recognize that he was not a great figure with his kind of his beliefs on how people should be separated. And we'll say that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, but in in that book, he talks about this idea of the speaker for the dead, which is like basically somebody comes and they speak the truth about that person. They speak the good, the mm-hmm. bad, and all in between. And um, some people prefer it. And that's kind of like became like a norm of life it was like, hey, this is this is the story. This is not this is not the edited story. This is the unedited story. And I thought that was kind of a cool concept. I think one other potential point on why we might specifically not go after the dead is I think it then makes it's just a further celebration of death, which I think we already have plenty of. Yeah. Like there's a difference between honoring, honoring those who have died and celebrating the fact that they died. Yeah. And so I think if we're, if we're going to be quick to justify how terrible a person they are and celebrate the fact that they're dead, then that makes it a lot easier to then go after people to try and kill them Mm -hmm. because we can say, you know, these are people who need to die. We're going to be a lot better off when they're gone. Yeah. I think that we want to, steer really hard away from that general attitude as a species or else it's really easy to start falling into things like 
mass murder and genocide and really horrible treatment of other humans. So yeah, I think I disagree with the fact that we're overly generous to people after they pass away, mostly because I think there are practical reasons for it. Yep, absolutely. So back to the idea of marketing, a consumer who has had a positive experience with a particular brand may make, it may make them more likely to choose an item from that brand given several options in the future. So the same can probably be said for Hollywood actors, directors, so on. Like you kind of develop a preference, right? Because you've had a good experience with that. So you kind of apply this shine to it, right? Especially with their new movies, right? Scorsese and DiCaprio, sign me up. The problem is that they bait you in like The Irishman, which is like, I don't know, a three-hour-long movie, and they say, "Hey, we're getting the Goodfellas back band back together, and adding Pacino and a bunch of other Italian dudes, and you get a dry three and a half-hour movie that is quite simply not Goodfellas." I will stand up for the Irishman a little bit, though. The, there was some really good acting in that movie, and it was a really well-told story. It is exceptionally long and like unnecessarily so. Yeah. Speaking of unnecessarily long, I've started <laughs> watching Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League. Uh, it's gonna. I was gonna ask you. Yeah, it's gonna take a while. Anyway, I still think it is a good movie, but this is absolutely a thing for me where I'm like, I know that actor, I'm going to watch this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think Hollywood is extremely aware of this. This is why they will get A-list celebrities to act in roles that do not require an A-list celebrity Mm -hmm. because that person will be a selling point for that movie. And so you're not just banking on a movie's success because it's a good story or it's well-directed or it's well-shot is you can elevate a movie's sales by hiring someone who is going to sell that movie just by the fact that they're in it. And so you get these star-studded casts that are intended to do that. And so it's actually always really impressive when you can get a movie that uses a lot of no-name or not very well-known actors and then tell such a good story that they then are launched into stardom, but they that was not the reason the movie was successful. Well, that's why you get like a bunch of Wes Anderson movies that are incredibly successful, but all of his movies are about lattes and scarves. (laughs) I love Wes Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) No, listen, I I love Wes Anderson too, but for the general population, a lot of times people who don't buy into that kind of like sad sap, like indie, like art film type of thing, they're not going to go watch it until they hear that like Jason Schwartzman or Bruce Willis or... Bill Murray are in those movies, right? Like, or like Gwyneth Paltrow or all those people that are like those big names in it. You kind of go, Oh, these people are in it instead of appreciating them for what they are. Cause they are great movies. Speaking of the halo effect, I will watch pretty much anything Bill Murray is. And I love Bill. Murray. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. So, Oh, it's, it's see, we're, we're caught in it too. We know about it. We're aware of it and we're still caught in it. So, so stuck. All right. Now you might've already figured out and we've sort of touched on this already, but there is the reverse or the opposite effect of this, which is that if a halo or if a, a good quality can raise someone's qualities up, couldn't that also mean that a bad quality could lower someone's qualities down? And so this is sometimes referred to as the horn effect or the devil's horns effect, mm-hmm. like the pitchfork effect is an, an, another name for it. Mm-hmm. And this is just the opposite of the halo effect. So one characteristic can overwhelmingly lead us to a more negative of a person as a whole. And I think this is something that's very easy to find in contemporary political discourse, where if you are conservative, then just hearing about someone who's liberal means you're like, I will murder them on sight if mm-hmm. I'm if given an opportunity. And same thing with if you're a liberal and you hear of someone who's like, oh, uh, have you have you my friend? Uh, he's uh, his name is George and he's a Republican. You're like, nope, I'm out. Get him away from me. Right. This dichotomy, this polarization of politics and not to say that this is entirely contemporary i know that 
there's been polarization throughout all of history, but the, the point is like that horns effect, I think is very easily observable in politics where a single, just learning that someone's political leanings means there's like, they can't be good at anything else. If it's right. not what I agree with already. Right. Absolutely. So how do we undo that? Right. Cause I mean, if we are aware of this bias and we are aware that these characteristics can kind of overtake those other characteristics, like how do we attend to the nuance that is every individual that we meet, right? Because for every for every ice cream loving Joe, there's still a bombing of Syria. So like we have to like be careful with this idea of like putting people on pedestals because there is nuance to every single person we meet. So I think the first thing is looking at this idea of these potential biases. What assumptions can you validate and what information are you using to support your assumptions? When you start kind of approaching these scenarios, like when I say like, oh, I really like Wes Anderson movies, why am I doing that? Like, what is it about? Do I actually like it? Or is there something that's kind of like making me like it? Right? Like I personally like Wes Anderson movies. Cause I like the way they're shot. I think that the way they're yes. shot, is very interesting to me. Like I had a similar thought. I tend to watch them for that more than the story, but that's something that I know my biases. I'll watch that because I think that it will be shot. Well, so you have to start there. What are those potential biases? Also, I, I do really love his very, very dry humor. Yes. Oh yeah. That is, used to communicate that story but obviously learning about bias is a is one important strategy for how to help overcome the fact that you're likely to engage in this bias and another one is to increase motivation to address your own biases conducting your work more objectively may yield more socially acceptable results making that behavior more likely to occur in the future and so essentially you know if you look at the the outcome of noticing these biases in yourself and being able to overcome them, you open yourself up to greater possibilities. And people may need to simply contact success with the increased performance or quality of work that comes with embracing diversity and objectivity as well in workplace or your other interactions and relationships with others. Mm-hmm. As you'll find that, you know, if you notice you're giving someone a pass or benefit of the doubt because of one characteristic or you're specifically looking past someone, ignoring them or otherwise finding fault in them, that you might be doing this biased thing. And by correcting that and noticing it, you can set yourself up to be better at what you do by helping them be better at what they do. Everybody wins. That's a really good lead into the idea of working like the workplace, right? So when you're in the workplace and you're catching these biases, one thing to do is focus on a specific trait. Like just look at this trait, look at this behavior and look how well it's done. Is it done accurately? It's done clearly. It's done well, right? You know, for workplace place performance, you might look at the number of reports completed in one on time in the last year, right? So how many times do they turn in their reports? Have they ever been late? Are they late? I mean, those are clear objective measures for looking at whether or not somebody is actually performing. You can't really argue that like, Hey, yeah, sure. They're good looking, but they turn in their behavior programs like three or four months late. So what good is it? Okay. So they're charming. They can charm the insurance companies, but they're not getting the work done. It's causing more of an issue, right? right? So some of the other examples, look at how that impacts the workplace. You can look at the percent of goals completed, new hires retained quarterly profits, adding new clients, adding new cases, adding new whatever, and and employees enrolled in master's programs. Those are different examples of objective measures that you can look at when it comes to workplace performance. And then if you're an educator, you probably want to be grading things fairly because, I mean, first of all, it's the right ethical thing to do. Mm -hmm. And you could get in serious trouble if you're caught demonstrating favoritivity and bias. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one solution to this is to grade things anonymously. 
do it so that it, uh, there are no grades attached. There are lots of software platforms that actually facilitate this process now where they will remove names from things that people have turned in so that you can grade them without that. And so how might a graduate or doctoral admissions committee fall victim to the halo effect when evaluating resumes? Could the presence of an elite university have a shining impact on how well an otherwise crappy resume seems to an employer? Mm -hmm. This does seem in line with seeing Sigma Chi on a resume with zero qualifications, but damn it, if this guy can't shotgun a natty ice like a boss. (laughs) Those are the people that you want on your team. That's right. right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's the opportunity here to prevent yourself from even having the option to do this. And I think this is similar. We've talked about this before, but when people turn in uh, resumes that have very obviously sounding names that would belong to a minority, such as a Hispanic or an African-American name, names that belong to that are clearly feminine instead of masculine. If you can anonymize those, then you have a better option of selecting a better candidate and ruling out any biases you might have. I mean, it's still worth trying to find and eliminate those biases and you can prevent them from occurring as well and maybe do both, you know, maybe anonymize it, take your picks, then look at them and see, you know, what your reaction is just looking at the names that you now have in front of you. And the final tip here to kind of get through these biases is just try being awful, right? So you earned your halo. Nobody ever said you were meant for good for the good place, right? You're not, you don't have to do these things. So try being bad a little bit, break those associations by being a terrible employee, a terrible lover or a terrible student, right? You were always meant to be bad. So try it. Obviously we're just kidding, right? So rather Forming long-term relationships with the individual you are evaluating may provide a platform for more objective and broad appraisals. There's a lot of different things you could do, but try not being bad. Don't be awful, right? Don't do that. Don't follow that guideline. But relationships are helpful. The longer the relationship, the the more you can kind of be more objective about what you're looking at. You can be at least. But really those other tips of identifying your biases, trying to uh, anonymize everything, and and really look at the, the objective components of a performance are going to be the most helpful. And that there is something inside of this too, that I I found in some of the research I was doing that showed that there is kind of a reverse halo effect for people who generally have a good characteristic, which particularly those who seem tall and attractive and that sort of thing. And those physical ones where those people who know that they are not that they know that they're not on the attractive end of things. They see those people and assume that they're stuck up rude. Mm Mm-hmm unpleasant people to be around um it's sort of the mean girls thing is exactly it is you you immediately make that assumption and so although there is that sort of halo effect there is also the people who are like i know that i've been treated with the sort of horns effect thing so now i'm going to see other people who have been successful with the halo effect as sort of my enemy in a way yeah and then you see people like chris hemsworth and you go well he's a delight all around yeah it's unfair how many good qualities he has. So hopefully I never meet him to ruin that. Would I spoon Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans or maybe preferably between the two of them? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that would be warm and comforting. (laughs) Indeed. And also very firm. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many muscles. They have way too many muscles. So so many muscles. (laughs) Sleeping between two bags of knotted ropes. Yeah. Um. It's uncomfortable. Actually, you know what? No, thanks. See, that's what happens with the halo effect. We're like, yeah, we'd sleep in a bed with them. And we're like, actually, no, that sounds actually really not great. Like a lumpy mattress. Mm-hmm. This is why you want people who are soft bodied, like, like me, <laughs> like us, right? We are, we are the warm, soft bodies that people really want. Like a gigantic pillow full of just so much cotton, <laughs> <laughs> same, same color skin as All the cotton it. as well. It's so yeah. great. It's so great. So 
what is the behavioral perspective of this? Like what, like, so we've kind of talked about like a lot of like characteristics and this feels like it kind of falls in the realm of like personality and psychology, that kind of realm. But like, what's the behavioral perspective of all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, each person's perception of whatever these correlating certain characteristics are with others, um, is very likely a product of their general experiences, right? Their, their history of rewards and exposure to certain circumstances with people who look like that or, sort of fall in the category of people who have that trait that you like. And if your first few bosses as a teenager all look a particular way, then it might be easy to associate certain characteristics of those bosses with future ones. If you've only had bad relationships with blondes, but every brunette was a fairy tale love story, then Taylor Swift is just never going <laughs> to cut it for you. And so there are superstition and sort of advantageous associations or adventitious associations you might make and sort of faulty logic in your, your perception or the, how those cues work for you thinking about this with respect to kids is again, like it seems like kids don't do this, not with at least respect to looks, but this is sort of why the stranger in a van with candy thing is a trope in kidnappers is because someone who's like willing to give you candy is like, Hey, that that's got, that is a trustworthy person right like, there. That's like, they're cool. offering me chocolate and Skittles. I'm like, my parents will do this for me and I like them. Yeah. So this person is definitely on my top 10. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you know, part of this too is like looking at the idea of culture, right? So cultural rules and traditions are going to play a role in what are defined as good characteristics versus bad characteristics. I mean, you have like certain languaging around, you know, different characteristics of different minority groups and stuff. And that creates these unique and problematic characterizations of people from that group. Right. And that's, I mean, that's how racism essentially forms. It's like, you've got one person that sets this bad rule. And then now all of a sudden the entire group is ostracized because of this really bad rule and this languaging around it. But whether it's religion, social circles, politics, very strict rules and expectations are laid out in those communities. And they force strong biases towards interacting with those people or interacting with novel individuals who are maybe not part of that community, right? So you're going to enforce rules or apply rules or apply characteristics to people that you've never met in that first impression. If they're not adhering to those rules that you're so strictly tied to, it's going to be a unique problem. And then finally, any threat to a perceived sort of functional relation in the world, if you will, can spell out a new association to be made and make us feel uncertain in our understanding of it all. So just do as the Joker said and, quote, introduce a little anarchy, upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. The thing about chaos, it's fair. <laughs> End quote. I feel like Alan has been watching a lot of TV lately. Yeah, TVs and movies and, and Christopher Nolan and... Breaking Bad. Yeah. South Park. Yeah. And listening to Taylor Swift. Yeah. It's been a thing. Yeah. But that's great. Alan's got a lot going on. These notes were great. I do have two things real quick. Yeah. The first is that with respect to this perspective on understanding the relation here and the sort of rewards aspect of this, we as humans and as a living organism, generally speaking, we tend to just like things that are rewarding to us, mm -hmm. basically by definition, right? We move toward things that we like. We move away from things we don't like, which is in, in effect moving toward something we like, which is the absence of the absence of the thing we don't like. And so it kind of does make a lot of sense that anything where there is the opportunity for reward in some capacity, we're going to move toward that. And then the relation we have toward that thing is similar to it. Incumbent, it, it already represents good thing, right? And so that's the same thing of like the brand of like, well, I know that I like to say Jamba juice. You know? <laughs> yeah. I know that I like Jamba juice. So I see that smoothie place that's called Jamba juice over there. I like it. 
And I mean, that's fairly well established. We know how franchises work and that sort of thing. But I might also see another smoothie place and be like, I might like that too. Yeah. They have the same colors as Jamba Juice. Whatever it might be, it's easy to have to understand that like we like things that we like. And so when we know something about something that we like, we tend to look for all the other things that we know that we like in that same place. And it's also very easy to overlook things that we don't like for that benefit. So it's sort of like, I understand that this store has some problematic issues with whatever it might be. Not saying Jamba Juice, but let's just, you know, whoever it might be. Let's throw Amazon in the bus. We always do. Yeah, it works. I understand the problems there are with Amazon. Like for me, benefits outweigh the costs. I'm not saying it's my perspective. That might be someone's perspective of looking at, I can get what I need very easily, very conveniently from this place. It's associated with all kinds of positive things for me. I'm going to move toward that. And therefore it's easier for me to look toward the positive things that also are around this thing. So that confirmation bias thing, and it elevates the rest of my perception. So that's, that's one thing I had on, on terms of adding this, a a concept to the the behavioral perspective is understanding that like when there's it's, it makes a lot of sense that like, if there's something good that we tend to think good of the good. Right. And it sounds circular because it kind of is, you know, I think it almost is a little too easy. And the fact that, we get really enamored with the fact that something happens and sometimes forget to take a step back and acknowledge like, actually that does make a lot of perfect sense. I kind of totally get that. That's (laughs) why that's happening. Right. The other thing I want to say is that I found a story that was interesting where they wanted to play this out in a situation with real people. And I found this video on, on YouTube that had, they took two women and dressed one of them up in sort of drab colors, drab clothes, not very much makeup where, you know, meant to look, unattractive right and then the other person lots of makeup hair is done very flattering clothes Mm -hmm. that she was wearing and they put them in two situations where they were had these two big suitcases and they're trying to lug them upstairs and it's like a a crowded shopping mall sort of thing right interestingly the one who was dressed up to be less attractive was actually taller but nevertheless yeah yeah they timed how long it would take for someone to help them and they're like they're moving real slow. You know, they're like drag one suitcase up a single step and there's like 50 steps ahead of them. So, you know, it's going to take them all day to get there. Right. And they just did this repeatedly. They'd put them in in front of these steps. They take, see how long it took for someone to come over and help them and also who helped them. Mm -hmm. And so the girl who was more attractive, it took an average of 20 seconds. The first one they did was only eight seconds before someone was there helping her with her bags. It was a young, attractive, fit looking man. Yeah. The girl who was dressed up to be less attractive, it took her an average of 48 to 50 seconds for someone to help her. And oftentimes it was other women right. who were coming over to help. Not only that, but then they would proceed to continue to ask favors of the person who helped them, ask them for money, ask them for directions, that sort of thing. Yeah. The person who was considered more attractive, obviously, was she got money from them, got more help from them. The person who was less attractive, like, sorry, I can't. And they'd move on, you know? Yeah. And so just a demonstration of this halo effect sort of playing out in sort of the real world. So I wouldn't set up to troll people like that as a recommendation, but <laughs> it is, it is something that you can maybe watch videos of, of something that has ha- has happened before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that's a perfect example of how this plays out in a real world situation and how, how impactful that can be to people who aren't afforded like some of these quote unquote good characteristics or perceived characteristics that people find so endearing. Absolutely. After that extraordinarily long soliloquy of mine, shall we wrap this up? Let's do it. So some take home points. All too often, 
Our past produces associations between certain physical and personality characteristics and things like love, success, profits. They're all kind of like arbitrarily related, right? And and these are more often than not related by chance correlations, not necessarily true causal relations in the world, but failing to recognize these biases or these associations can lead us to prematurely judging somebody's overall character, either positively or negatively. It can go either way based on that first impression. Those first impressions are meaningful, but they're not always accurate. Yeah. I mean, tall man, tall man, full mm-hmm. set of hair, president. I'm on my way. Yeah. There you go. Tall quarterback, broad sh- shoulders, making the prom queen. I was, I mean, I prom played king. <laughs> yeah. Prom queen is good too. Yeah. Yeah. Either one's fine. Whatever, whatever the preference is, but I, uh, I was homecoming prince. So see, it works too. See, you're, yeah. I got all the markers coming together. (laughs) Attractive woman, make her the spokesman for the new product. Mm -hmm. Rinse and repeat across decades in the media, politics, so on. And these things begin to seem like the only way that life can be. But in the last decade or so, there's been a more conscious effort to include new voices, to break the conventional ideas of who embodies what roles are available in society. And the stereotypes of everything are changing and dissolving into a more predictable and exciting platform where anyone can do anything. And, And I think that there's, yeah, a lot of good to be had here. And I think this is absolutely true. This is the kind of thing, incidentally, that I find those talk show hosts railing against how terrible things have become because there are now people with different skin color, with different opinions who are less attractive, who are gaining notoriety, who are gaining prominence mm-hmm. and are getting an opportunity to have a platform that their predecessors would have never had. And that is very frightening to some closed minded jerks out there uh-huh. who hates to see people who look differently from them succeed. Yep. And I personally think I am more than all for the growth of diversity here. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I, I am all about like people who are in positions of power getting uncomfortable and quitting their shows forever and being canceled, like canceling themselves, quit that show. Let's fill, let somebody else fill that space because nobody wanted to hear you talk anyway. Guy from that morning show that nobody really liked. <coughs> Pierce Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make all kinds of enemies. I know, right? Now, it's fine. It's fine. fine. So uh, like Lindsay Lohan snapping the spring fling tiara and mean girls and sharing a little peace with everyone. Maybe the halo has begun to be broken into pieces and shines on everybody a little bit more these days. But 17 years later, there's still none for Gretchen Wieners. And scene. <laughs> All right. That's how I monologue. <laughs> That's great. Do you have anything else on the halo effect? No, no. This was actually a lot of fun to cover. You know, a really, a really interesting concept. I think, I think it's a really great concept for understanding just how we perceive people and how we create these just awful relations by accident. Absolutely. All right. Well, then let's transition to some recommendations. Let's do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go first because I have a halo. Just kidding. (laughs) But because I I feel I want, I want yours to go second. I want to end on, on something powerful here. Uh, Not, not that mine's not, but I am going to recommend, this is very different from me. Um, We've recommended bands, shows, podcasts, Mm -hmm. and I tend to recommend if I'm going to recommend bands, I tend to recommend rock, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to recommend Kendrick Lamar, the album damn. And I think if there is anybody who embodies just the most brilliant lyrics and artistry in their craft, Kendrick Lamar is just a cut above the rest. I mean, what an Mm -hmm. amazing performer. And I think absolutely deserves all the recognition and respect. 
And so that's my recommendation. You know, it's great to see you get out of your comfort zone. And now I want to be like, you should, you should go listen to Pimp a Butterfly and you should listen to Mad City and you should go listen to the Black Panther soundtrack because he did all that too. The guy is, the guy is brilliant. The guy is brilliant. So love it. Damn is really good though. Damn is really good. I was going to say I recommend Kendrick Lamar, but I want to, I want to actually stop at the album so that I can, I can recommend albums in the future. So the album I'm recommending now is damn, but I I appreciate your comments there. It's good. Yeah. You'll get there. You'll get there. All right, so my recommendation is a book by Ibram X. Kendi, and it is titled How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I am going to go out on a limb and say most people are not prepared to read this book. This book is intense. I'm about, I would say maybe a third of the way through it, and I am, I'm taking my time with it because it is really one of those things that I want to take the time to absorb and think about and move towards actions that are decidedly anti-racist. And it's just... The way he breaks it up is fantastic. He breaks it up into these like sections. He's like, you want to talk about racism? Here's racism in relation to ethnicity. Here's racism in relation to behavior. Here's racism in relation to culture. And he gives these specific examples, this great storytelling. I mean, this guy just is, it just, it's just eye-opening. So I recommend everybody reading it. I'm actually adding it to my supervision curriculum as, wow. as a required reading for my supervision curriculum because it's that good. That's wonderful. I, I'm actually in this very similar boat to you. So this this is a, this is a, a, a second recommend for this book on the podcast because this was recommended by our guests on our anti uh, when we did our anti-racism mm-hmm. episode as was one of the books that they'd recommend and so i immediately bought it i'm similar to you i'm about i think i'm about halfway through it and also it's been just profoundly life-changing yeah and as you said so well written and it's clear i think you know i've, re- I've read books before that take a non-fiction topic like this and they will talk about it and it's very conversational and he writes in a very accessible way, but it's so scholarly. Yes. And then what I mean by that is just that he puts so much thought into constructing his arguments in a way that's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like everything yeah. you said is absolutely correct and I'm, you know, better for it. Yeah. And so I want to second this recommend because man, this is, I'm very excited to get through, you know, read what else he has to say. I'm going to pick up his other books and just a, a really amazing book. So fantastic. Recommendation. Yeah. I mean, it really is unbelievable. Like you said, he constructs it so well where it's like, here's the topic, here's definitions, here's a story, here's stats, here's laws. I mean, it's like, it's so just, it's, it's not one of those ones. It's not an opinion book. Right. I mean, it, and I think that's important to recognize. It's like, this is, this is, and it's not just a how to like a recipe. It is like, I mean, it's just, I, I, I'm floored with it. I'm just absolutely floored. I've got no other words for it. Yeah. I, I, I will likely read it again for finishing it. Yeah. And also, you know, pick up some more of the recommendations that are made in that book as well as others on similar mm-hmm. topics. So that's great. All right. If you are a beautiful person who has a halo around you and would like to share your story, feel free to do so. If you are a demonic person who has a pitchfork around you and like to share your story, feel free to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. We're happy to do those that things. That works too. You can contact us yeah. on all those platforms. Um, oh, also, hey, by the way, if you're Kendrick Lamar or you like Kendrick Lamar and would like to recommend one of his albums, you should do that. If you are an anti-racist and would uh, like to talk to us about other books that you really like on anti-racism, and particularly if you're Ibram X. Kendi, I would love to hear from you. Yes. Please reach us on all those social media platforms. Contact us at our email at info at www.podcast.com. We'd be more than excited to hear from all of you. If you're a racist, then don't bother. We don't care. Yeah, we won't hear you. Yeah, go educate yourself. And then once you're educated, then we'll care. Uh, we're happy to. We're, we're here when you have learned a thing or two or 10. 
<laughs> and yeah, anything else to say on uh, on Halo Effect, please reach out to us. Do you have anything else, Dr. Shane? Nope, nothing else, Dr. Abraham. All right, so thank you so much for recording with me today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And also, I want to do a quick shout out to all our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to get your name on this list, you can join us at as low as $1 a month. At the time that this episode airs, we will have launched our new tiers and benefits for Patreon. So special thanks to Justine, Selena, Megan, Mike, and Shauna for their their support Mm -hmm. on Patreon. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. All right, perfect. Thank you so much. Talk to. Uh, the, oh my god, that's a terrible way to end this. <laughs> Talk to you another time. <laughs> See you later. Um, <laughs> <laughs>